Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Agile Pubcast. Yes, it's that time when Jeff Watts and Paul Goddard sit in the pub, drink a pint and talk about all things Agile. Just a reminder, you can still leave us a comment on SoundCloud if you listen there or if you subscribe on your iPhone via iTunes, please leave us a review. We'd just like to thank all of our listeners and we've recently surpassed 5,000 listens of this podcast so we're really pleased that you're enjoying it. And as long as you're enjoying it, we'll still record them as often as we can. So without further ado, let's play the jingle. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of the day it is for you. Welcome to another edition of the Agile Pubcast with me, Jeff Watts. My friend Paul Goddard. Hello. And our mutual friend Nigel Baker. Hello. Today we're in Cardiff City Centre at the Owen Glendier pub, which is has historical significance for the Welsh. Um, he was uh, he led the Welsh uprising against King Henry IV back in the 15th century. Uh, unsuccessfully, mm-hmm. had good success to start with, but basically ran out of ammunition. Wow. Um, so he, and he, lost. he hates English people. Yes. So we have to keep our voices down. Well, uh, yeah. He was apparently appeared in um, William Shakespeare's King Henry the, uh, Henry the Fourth, Part One. Really? But he had an anglicised name, uh, Alexander. Uh, the ultimate insult to mm. a Welsh person, I would suggest. W- wasn't he the last Welsh-born Prince of Wales? Ooh. Good yes, fact. Don't know. Right. Very good I believe so. I like so. it. I like but it's, this is um, back to my student days. This was a, always a very busy pub on a on a weekend. Mm. It was right in the middle of Cardiff. Much little short street it's on, but it's right. It's right by the church in the middle of the car. Working Street. Working Street, I think it says out there. <laughs> there well, it is a nice pub, and today we have we've arrived in the middle of a cider festival, which is always dangerous. Well, yes, indeed. <laughs> so we've got a lot of scrumpies and all sorts of things to choose from, and so much so we had a few, didn't we? Yeah. Well, me being my natural indecisive self, decided to go for two. So I have two halves here. Uh, but Paul, first of all, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a cloudy cider today. This is called Devon Mist by Sanford Orchards. Now, there, there is significance to this cider because this is a cider that is made where I went to school. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a Devonshire cider in Sanford. And Sanford is literally two miles from my parents' house. They mm-hmm. still live there. And it's made by the, their kind of master cider maker. Is a guy I used to go to school with as well. We used to play rugby with him, and he went to the same. He was a year older than me at school. Can we give him a shout out. Barney Butterfield is his name. Butters. Butters to yeah. his mates. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, or Barney actually. Well, if you're listening, Butters. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> yes, it's a very Jordan nice cider. What does it taste like? Apples. Apples. Yeah. 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 Not 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 the most sophisticated palate yours, is it? No. But we're getting there. But it's a nice. It's, it's a taste. It's quite sweet. It's quite tasty. Okay. I quite like mm. it. And Nigel, what have you got? I can't remember the name. You said it was farmhouse scrumpy. I believe farmhouse scrumpy. Yeah. I'm, How's it I'm, taste to you? I'm, I'm quite liking it actually. Um, it's not served in the traditional warm style. It's okay. slightly cooler, uh, which I prefer. Well, if you remember, it served over ice. ice Just for you. I preferred that. Okay. I remember Paul bought me a scrumpy many podcasts ago, podcasts ago, which was so warm as almost I can mm. drink it. But this with the cold has made it work. I would say right in the middle between dry and sweet. Okay. I would say. Well, I'll, I'm I'll read quite you the tasting it. notes and you tell me whether you, you agree with them. Mm-hmm. This is a wonderfully nostalgic scrumpy cider, golden in colour. I think yes. you can agree on that. Yes. With a medium taste. I just said very that. Good. Yeah, very good one. And yeah. a refreshing apple aroma, 
a smooth, balanced flavour like all good scrumpy cider should have. Would you agree with that? Well, I would deny any cider has a smooth flavour. Oh, okay. it, but it is nice. It's, right. I'm enjoying it. 5.3%, um, which, which is quite low, it's actually, average, scrumpy. It? It's good. It feels lighter than five. Right. It tastes lighter than five. Um, in the mid, in the middle, yeah. I'm enjoying it. Okay. Um, still, which I'm enjoying as well. Good. Well, and this is this is where it gets interesting. Good luck, Jeff Watts. Yeah. So I, I've gone for. I went on name. I'm one of those people that when you go to the horse racing, picks the horse by the name, not necessarily by the form. So I was tempted by Badger's Spit. <laughs> and yes. We'll take a picture of this. Well, we will. It, it, and it's peach juice colour. I, I, that's say, being I would, kind. That's I would being say, kind. I'd say muddy water. Mud. Yeah, I think that's more muddy. I think that's doing an unfair disservice to muddy water. <laughs> so, really. It says on here, it says, Badger's spit is a hazy gold. That's nowhere no. near hazy no. gold. It might, no. You might have the bottom of the... Um, well, yeah, they did say the it was bag. supposed to look like that. But, really? Yeah. Um, Well-balanced dry cider with a tart finish. Made with a variety of apples. Yeah, basically what's left over, I think. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a whopping 7.5%. Take a sip. Take a sip. It has a sort of. It almost feels like I'm drinking sediment. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's not an unpleasant taste. Is it quite rough? It's more the the, the texture, if anything. Yeah. It's like you've done like, the tough mudder thing and yeah, gone through that. Yeah. It's almost like there's the 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 liquid and the solid are going down separately. Well, oh. nice. Um, what a lovely thought. Oh. But I, I only had a half of that because I wasn't sure what it was going to be. I'm like. not surprised. It's seven and a half percent. Yeah. And and the other one I have, the other half I have is a. Uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Teguin, Festival Ferret. Which, a, well, a Welsh cider. A Welsh cider, yeah. Uh, lightly filtered, this one says, for a great natural golden colour. And I think we can agree on that one. That's golden colour, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's golden colour. Yeah, that looks like a cider you'd expect. All the flavour you expect from a high-end still cider. Nice. Oh, so He's going dipping into his second pint now. Second half pint, ladies and gentlemen. What's the result? That's very drinkable. Is it? Yeah, you could drink a lot of that. And what, what, how strong is it? 6%. Oh. Oh, you get into a lot of trouble with that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, cheers. Cheers, everyone. To the cheers. Badger's Spit. We're proper old school Coronation Street the, glasses. The, today. The, oh, good, yeah, the, good, the good news is, if you do need to do anything like remortaring your walls, <laughs> you've got that stuff left yeah. over too. Yes. I had a, a comment there that probably wouldn't go out on air, so I'll just keep it to myself. Okay. Um, so we've got, we've got an interesting situation here we've, for, we've had a qu- freak change of events we've got a question to answer well we've had a, a relative avalanche <laughs> of contact we've had at least three at least three questions at least three that's so, troubling all troubling all the other questions you've ever had before yeah, isn't yeah. it so we're, we're now at a point where which one do we answer so i think we're going to start seeing as we're in wales we'll go with yeah. the welsh sounding he well, not be I'm, welsh. Gonna, I'm gonna make a huge assumption that gareth thomas but even if he's not welsh even he should be it's in homage to wales yes. and his hashtag he, this was a question on Twitter, um, so it's Gareth Thomas at the stub. Um, Stubsy. He does say on his profile he's a he's an ice hockey fan. He supports the Cardiff Devils. So you would suggest that maybe yeah. he is. Though he's currently the, living in Lincoln. Living in Lincoln. So Gareth's question was: um, he has a dilemma. If I only have one, sorry, if I only have budget for one, should I get a product owner or a scrum master? Great question. Yeah, and he says he has his own opinions, but he wants he doesn't want to. Influence us by telling us what they are. He wants to hear our points of view first. Yeah. So, I think that's a very good question. I, actually, I think that's a very good question. Um, I might, I'm, I'm just making my mind up now before I hear what you guys say. There's, I think there's a lot of 
it's almost it's very hard to answer in in, in a different context, but I've probably got a a gut instinct. Well, my first interest is what do you mean by money? And that sounds like a stupid question. Budget. Really. Budget. budget. Yeah. What do you mean by budget? Because yeah. there's like internal budget yeah. and there is external budget. Yeah. And we've all worked in environments where one is flexible and one isn't. Mm. And I think that would affect my direction as well. Um, yeah. For me, definitely. There may, I would suggest most of the organisations that I see, most people find it harder to, to convince budget holders to pay for a scrum master. Yes. Yeah. So if you, could, if you had some budget... It might be a, a, a good tactic to use that budget on a scrum master in the knowledge that you might be able to convince somebody else yeah. the value of a product owner and therefore get yeah. both. Yeah. But that, yeah. That's kind of cheating the question yeah. a little bit, I think. But, but not at all. I think that's the entire point is that I agree with you completely. The scrum master is something, it's an exciter feature. People don't know it's missing mm. until you add it, then they yeah, see the true. value yeah. added. When we don't product, know we needed one. Yeah, and product is hygiene. You can see it's missing. Mm. But this was, if it was only internal money, I'll probably carve out a product owner mm. because we need to get someone doing that. We don't want to just. Yeah. But if it's external money, I'll definitely get. There's no real point in optimizing a team. Yeah. To build something terrible. Yeah. Yeah. We have the yeah. Wrong product. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, but what I wouldn't want to do is hire in just a product owner who doesn't know the context, doesn't know the business, no, no, doesn't know the stakeholders. No. I want someone internal who can do that really. Obviously, I, th- there I, are think, other, I think the best product owners are grown, not hired. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's fair. Um, Obviously, there are there are some contextual situations where you yeah. think, well, okay, maybe we can't hire somebody, but there's someone around in the organisation that we don't need budget for who could do this role very well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all things being equal, I think, yeah. is the fair way to approach this question. Yeah. My instinct is product owner. Mine too. Because I think I've seen a lot more damage done where a lack of a product owner has disenfranchised the team completely or delayed the value being delivered and I, d- I don't think you can really start properly until you get a full-time product owner involved I think you can amble along with a bit of self kind of facilitation by by committee almost but I don't think you can product own by by absence but here's the thing you bring that product in just because you've got budget doesn't mean you have organizational space so if you hire external and bring one in the risk is they'll get slotted in almost as a, a proxy or a proto BA mm. generating requirements what you want is actual direct business take, engagement. Take all those things out of the, out of the equation. That the fact that assume that it's a, a balanced team. Which role could you would you do without? But that that's the point I made earlier on. I think you can't do without product owner, but making it all work is actually really hard. And having some catalyst force in there to make it work well and to reach out and find the right product and bring them in you know it's um i think for me i would probably go scrum master in that situation yeah because just because they can make everything else work on the ground when if you bring what about in a, if you're in like a startup and you've got some really cool really kind of interested empowered developers they can product in they don't need that oh, someone. Nice. A mercenary product owner is terrible. You need to have someone really invested in the product, oh, really invested yeah. in the direction. Yeah, and I so as I say, we're homegrown over imported for me. But I can be situation. imported somewhere where I have a passion. I can be, I, for example, if Richard Branson came along to me and said, I've, I've got this product owner job for you with regards to their space exploration program, yeah. I would be imported in, but I would have a huge attachment to yeah, and passion to the for purpose it. Behind it. But um, the way that I, I rationalise this, um, without wishing to 
refer to my own work too much but if I'm looking at a great product owner or a great scrum master yeah. I think a great product owner actually reduces the need for a, a scrum master because they don't just do the logistical process product side of things they actually collaborate directly with the team um, and they're in, they're invested in a sustainable pace and a, and a, and a, and a positive environment in the workplace whereas a great scrum master really can't I mean they could make it work because they could be an excellent facilitator and I have seen it work mm. but they don't they're less likely to have the product focus whereas a product owner could still have a people focus I don't know Okay. I, I, I've seen both sides of the coin in that situation. But what we're talking about is, are we talking about the optimum or the real life in terms of the situation that person's dropped into? We don't know any of their context at no, the exactly. moment. Exactly, we're, yeah. we're talking but on face so value. So on face value. So on 140, yeah. 140 yeah. If it was all perfect, maybe then product management so weak in organisations, we need to invest in that. Mm. But also you need to just build the capability to do all that. Dropping one product owner in once makes one team good or mm -hmm. one situation great. Dropping an actual scrum master in, a change right. agent in, could help that grow, expand, yeah. not just invest in their own team, invest in the environment around the team and build up product ownership. Like for me, what I would like is, it's Paul and you said, home grow them and the job of a good scrum master is to build up that product owner, that product manager facility in that organization. And so rather than hire one, they could spend their time building seven. And all of a sudden, you've really invested in that environment. So that that's why I was thinking from that point of view. I was just thinking in terms of... If you've of, got enough time. Well, I think we can make the time. But well, it's, some it's organisations can't, right? Because they have one product. Yeah. And mm. if you don't have, you have a product, you don't have a product owner and you're waiting to grow seven, yeah. they haven't got that time. No. But then have they got time to have one product owner but a team that isn't ready? Because what you don't want is the perfect user stories. That's irrelevant. What you want is a great product coming at the end mm. of the experience. So should the conversation be not invest in product owner or scrum master, but invest in the self-organizing team, see what they think are missing, see what they think they need, and invest the money in that? Was that too controversial? No, I, I think, think, I, think I'm, I'm, I think that's a clear order. And I, 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 in terms of when I'm teaching this or, or even coaching this, in, a, in an ideal scenario, I think looking back from the, the, uh, the mistakes I've made in the past, I think you have to start with the product owner. I think I think you have to start even before you've got a development team. You have to know exactly what this product is, and you can kind of that self-organising can actually start from a, a, a passionate pur a purpose with someone driving that through, and you can get get interested people around that. They they'll they'll that interest will create autonomy within itself, and then I always look at the scrum master as possibly the last person you might hire. I'll put it another way. If I was, if I had a team, then I would, I'd want to know that they were working on the right thing. I could coach, not be a scrum master, I could coach a team from an outside with no domain knowledge, no technical knowledge. Yeah. And I could coach them to be more effective, more empowered, more self-organizing without the domain knowledge. I could contract that role. Yeah. I couldn't come in as a, a, a product owner not knowing the domain, not knowing and, and do that role effectively. So I, I think So you if could, it's hiring someone in, you're well, better off hiring. And, and those skills I think are more people related. You can probably find them 
in other people in the organisation, or a coach. Um, not easily, but I think it, that the actual experience, knowledge, instincts of a of a product owner are more crucial to a product success to have in the right person. So isn't that surely arguing then, and maybe I'm confused here, surely that's arguing for growing the product owner, not hiring the product owner, and arguing <coughs> for hiring the scrum master, not growing the scrum master. I could master. be running a, a travel company, yeah. and another rival has an excellent product owner, and I poach him. They've got the skills, they know the, they know the domain, they know the environment, they know the, 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 the users, the technology, and all that kind of stuff. And that would give me and the organisation and the team a huge boost in the right direction. And then somebody, somebody could fill the facilitation, the the, uh, the coaching side of things. I'm not saying it's ideal, but I think that's the way that my mind would would solve that difficult problem. Okay, so final final decision. A bit like who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. Are you going A, scrum master, or B? Jeff? Is there a C? Because Nigel kind of wanted a C. I offered a C. I'm not sure I wanted it, but okay. there's the other option, which is... Well, say for now, no. Mm. Okay. And I, I would go B product owner. So would I. What would you do? Scrum master. So it's 2-1. Two, two, Jeff, Paul, win. I like it, no. no. But um, I think that's that's what my instinct is. But it does lead nicely on to a second question, and I don't want to... Um, because we had so many questions, I feel like we have to at least answer more than one. Um, and this was a question from Robin Hatchell. The first advanced certified scrum master in the world. Yes, we need to say well done to him, don't we? Um, first one on earth. First of many to come. Um, but it, does, it is kind of linked to this. And his question was, um, this, is at, this is from Twitter as well, Agile, at Agile Robin. Um, do, how do you coach an organisation who value the items on the right of the manifesto over the items on the left? Now, you could argue in my kind of brain that if you want product development kind of growth of value that type of thing you might lean more towards people who are going to drive those things forward focused on plans and business and, and, and commercial direction whereas the left hand side focuses much more on people skills mm -hmm. kind of more scrum master like collaborative skills might be going down a rabbit hole, but is there? Would the would the culture of the organisation dictate which one you might pick, scrum master or product owner? Uh, it might, almost certainly, because the culture will will dictate the decisions that are made. But whether it should or not is another matter. Often, an organisation that's thinking about changing its processes need to look at how their decisions are made and what actually probably change the way that the decisions are made based on that culture, almost go against mm. their instincts. Mm. Um, but the, re the reason I gave my answer as it to product owner to the first question it was was on the with the caveat, if you like, of you know a great product owner will not only know how to build yeah. a product backlog and, and understand the market and, and all that, they will also be able to connect with and collaborate with the development team directly. Mm -hmm. um, so in that regard, should be that, that should be the focus. Um, but there is the risk that if you don't have a great product owner, you just have a product owner who is perhaps more traditional mm. uh, and comes from that more waterfall culture and there's no scrum master there to protect this fledgling agile embryo, mm. then 
that will naturally lean the organisation more towards the the, le the right hand side. The process outside. Yeah. And that's there is a, a correlation for me between part time. Well, Jeff's just come across a very there's a lot of sediment at the bottom of my glass. Of, of badger spit. Right, trying, to, trying to finish the glass. Look at that. It looks like you'd crawl out of the glass. <laughs> that's muddy. So I didn't. Um, so in my CSM class, I do this um, true and false exercise, and one of the questions is always around the full-time nature of the, the role. So, so the one card will say the scrum master is a full-time role for the organisation and the team, and the other one will say the product owners. Now, interestingly enough, most people over the courses that I run tend to assume or prefer choose a product owner that would be full-time rather than the scrum master. They see the Scrum Master, like you said, as a, yeah. lu a luxury item. Yeah. Um, we haven't got time to, to dedicate someone to that full role. But and but a lot of times they see product owners as business analysts writing the requirements. Yeah, true. This is this is my big issue with it. Because I, I work with a lot of product owners these days. The vast majority of my work is product ownership over Scrum Master. And I see again and again really good product owners, but having to do too much being heroic figures. Um, they're writing all the requirements and everything because Scrum Master is too weak. Scrum Master is at best booking meeting rooms, you know, and, and facilitating scrums and that entire growth of the team, but the coaching so side and the other side. That's more the right, that's focusing on the right hand side of the massive yeah, manifesto not, yeah. rather than the unmeasurable yeah. soft left yeah. hand side. And it's, yeah, um, firstly, not no full time Scrum Master is a big smell for me. Yeah. If they're not willing to invest someone in. Yeah. Embedding yeah. agility as a as a way of working, then that, that's a big. But Robin's question was, how do you coach it? Well, I, I, I don't believe there is such a thing as an organisational culture. I think that's a combination of thousands of micro cultures and micro relationships in the organisation, and you can't change it all, no matter who you are. No. You have to start in your area and build a little bubble and build it out. Yep. So I'd work in my own so little start area, small. start small, work in my own little area, the sphere of influence I have, and start building it out. Start challenging the it can't work here because. Yeah. Even if it's not explicit, there's an implicit yeah. element of, well, this is the way we've always yeah. done it. Start building up some evidence yeah. in case studies. Well, that's kind of what we did in BT, wasn't yeah. it? We had a lot of naysayers that would yeah. come and say, oh, yes, all that jagile stuff, all great in Project yeah. X, but it'll never work but, in but Project but Y. This, this is the thing I was, thinking, I was just thinking then. There was no, there's no such thing as BT. If you think of, again, we left a decade ago, right? Think of what BT's like now to what it was like then. That is a different animal. Mm -hmm. Think of what it was like then. What did BT break up into? Little lines of business. Okay. Now, some of those lines of business were suited and booted and sociopathic, and some were friendly and chummy. Think about in one IT or whatever we were called. Remember when we first joined? Oh, wow. um, you were CSEC or whatever yeah. it was. I was... Uh, Exeter, whatever that was, Exeter, whatever it was, Jeff was, whatever he was when he came in, different groups, different cultures. Think of Fast Track, where we were based, how different Fast Track was to Ipswich, mm. to the to the weirdos of the Dashtral Park, sorry, Dashtral Park. Um, but think how different those worlds were, and what Jeff did and we did. No, just was, been given a yellow card there. <laughs> outside. Um, no, you love him, they love him. But the build a little bubble in the own little fast track space, mm -hmm. you know, that's all you can do in your own environment, unless you're king of the world. But think of all the top down statements of culture change that came in that company, that come in all companies, and think so how they didn't have an effect. To those that talk a lot about organisational culture often say that the culture is defined by the stories that people tell by default yeah. about that company. So if we look at the stories that we tell about BT, what would they be? Tales of woe. Woe, woe and difficulty. Well, not for us personally, our personal tales I think were quite positive, but the general overall tales outside of our little 
area were quite negative tales. Mm. If you think of a the Dennis story... The word that comes story, to mind for me is frustration. Mm. Mm. A, 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 for the average person's daily day mm. is, is, has a lot of frustration it's in it. fraught with difficulty. Yeah. yeah. The inability to, to use your full potential, the inability yeah. to get something really, really done. Mm. Um, I think that, that's what comes through for me. And I think most of the stories that people told in my presence would have included a big sense of frustration. Yeah. Yeah. And also checking out. So not just frustration, but also apathy. Yeah. People are oh, I've just, it's not worth it anymore, you know? So past no, I hear frustration, frustration in that as well. Yeah. Yeah, so for me there was still appetite there for something better, I believe. I, it just, I just think people got frustrated with the fact that it yeah. hadn't happened. They tried for so long yeah. because they've been there a long time. Yeah. So, so yeah. I'm trying to think of another Sorry, word for that. Think of they checked else. out. I find a lot of people actually physically had gone through the frustration journey and just gone, you know, let's call them in. You know, it's they've gone past. I, you're right. I saw a lot of frustration there. But also I saw a lot of people post-frustration into almost the seven denial of his, you know, just acceptance of, of awfulness, yeah. which is possibly worse. Yeah. Well, I think this is probably more strategies rather than coaching, but we, uh, we made big gains where we had, it doesn't have to be many, but key senior leaders involved. Yeah. So you, know, you probably wouldn't call it coaching, but we had relationships that were forged at Sean, I'll call him Sean, Sean's level, um, which is kind of our boss. Yeah. Um, and he created good rapport with senior managers yeah. who then became our best salesman, really. Yeah. And they started speaking to their, but again, this is kind of more ground up or middle out kind of yeah. growth. Um, and if you, if, as a person, as an agile coach, if you can influence those types of people, you might go and you make some more headway. Well, it's the difference for me. This, again, organisational change is not product development, but just using that as a metaphor for the moment. There's different ways of approaching that startup mentality, booting yourself up, getting the claws in, pull yourself up, grasping for breath. Then there is actually, once you've got a medium-sized organisation, you grow it, where there is the once you've got a large enterprise and you're trying to sustain it. I think the same thing in terms of agile and spreading in a large organisation. There's tactics and strategies to get going. Mm. Sean was one of them. Yeah. His personal rapport yeah. with many people very, over 30 years. Very likeable chap. Yeah, got us going, not yeah. agile. Yeah. It was it was Sean, yeah. you know. And that got the first few steps going, but then we need to transcend that for do the exploration think, further. And that could be something Robin would like to talk about as well. Do you think, just to talk about Sean, because I, I love Sean, um, do you think that was more by luck, or do you think that was a a, 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 um, a deliberate appointment? Do you know, Jeff? You probably got the best, best connection with Sean. Whether well, Sean was deliberately appointed to that role? Yeah. I think I think his seniors knew his skills. Yeah. And believed that you know, his ability to build connections. Do you know who hired him into that role? No. I think he had the role. He was met, He's always been methods and practices within BT. Yeah. And so that was, was the space. It was sort of thing he was working on, and Agile fell into good, that space. A very good personality at that level, yeah. wasn't it? To have very, yeah. very. Uh, but I, I don't mention personal. him by name. But I, the, the, the training video I did recently, I used him as an example, as a as an archetype 
are the type of person you want involved in your organisational change, like a wildly long-term hire who knows yeah. people, who knows people, well networked, well, yeah, well networked, knows everyone, work with everyone, can 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 bypass those frustrating processes that stop everything, yeah. and actually just know the right names to talk to at the right time, almost like a. Um, a concierge figure in Goodfather, a Godfather, Goodfather, Godfather, you know, someone who knows people and can make things happen, you know, which is great, I think, for that startup mentality. Yeah. But then we needed another voice, I think, for the fuller growth, which didn't get going as well but, as it should but have done. Just to get, continue on that analogy, that if you can coach that type of person, because it has to, Sean would be the first to admit he wasn't well skilled in that area when he started out. But we use that type of networking has as our, to our advantage that he quickly became very understanding of the agile approach. Yeah. So I think there's a certain amount of, uh, as a coach, um, effect you can have low level. But if you can start having conversations and can make connections at a, at a larger level. Yeah, Sean a played level. a lot of golf with people, didn't he? He did. With decision a lot of changes yeah. happened on weekends yep. on the golf course mm-hmm. and that was that was an interesting thing all of a sudden very weekend. sexist yes very old fashioned well, well no it's, it's often yeah shouldn't be <laughs> yeah but it's you know and we want to be careful about that talk about analogies and coming back to Robin's actual question of you know how do you coach this so thinking about techniques I'm going to just carry on my, my thread of storytelling in that culture is a definition of this is defined by the stories that people tell about their organisation one of the things that we started to do by having these little bubbles and creating mm. our own case studies was mm. to start to tell different stories. And we, yes. did, we took them around the country on road shows, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. And so we wrote them up and we, we published them and we yeah. took them to conferences and told the world about them. So we started to redefine the stories that we tell at BT yeah. and who we are as a company. And even if they weren't involved in those pieces of work, people, people had heard of them and they could talk yeah. about them. Yeah. And I like the, the analogy of creating a, a kind of you know, agile bookshelf, if you like, yeah. uh, which which I've done at a few clients before, um, where they they start almost codifying what they have done, just for their own yeah. posterity, but also to be able to pass that message yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, and, what we're all about. Yeah. yeah. And having this this virtual bookshelf with a number of spines, you know, the very hungry product owner. Alice in Scrumderland. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, and trying to change the organisational mm-hmm. narrative. Mm-hmm. That's we how we used to do things around here. Mm, yes. What you want people saying? Mm-hmm. That's how we did. Yeah. Uh, how we do things. But that that's how we used like, to do. Like war stories. That's <coughs> yeah. back in the war. You remember in those days when we used to do that. So that that's it's also uh, about trying to what, what does this organisation look like in five years' time? Mm-hmm. That type of thing. Trying to create that positive mental picture. Yeah. The, the final one thing is, um, what was Robin's exact wording on this question? Hold on, caller. Oh, no, you an organisation that values the items of the right of the Agile Manifesto over the items on the left? I don't think, I, his, I think they need to coach themselves. That's why it can't just be you pushing it. They've got to pull, they've got to, there's got to be things set up in that environment for them to create their own opportunities to learn, their own opportunities to move. It can't just be, you know, you have some secret magic that moves them across. It's got to be, you know, I can just imagine Robin there like, pushing the huge stone up the, mm. the cliff face, like the old Greek myth. And I, I, I worry about that because you would, the stone always wins. There's got to be some momentum on the stone coming down the other side. How do you? 
Yeah, so you've got to build up communities of practice, build up the change army, a volunteer change army, have a sense of vision as you guys described, having a sense of leaders involved, also getting ground up, short term. Development of intrinsic motivation within the organisation, not just an individual. Yeah. What's in it for the organisation? Not not you should be doing this or you you need to do this or I'm going to incentivise you to do this. If you don't change, I'm going to leave or anything like that. But actually finding out where the real value to the organisation is and and connecting that to the people who should and do care about that. Um, Having said all of that, this is a bit of an easy get out, but there will be times when actually you need to realise that that organisation isn't going to change, or it's not going to change quickly enough for you. Mm. Uh, And sometimes the changes that you start, you won't actually see finished. Uh, And that's okay, you know, you do your bit and you pass it on and you you move on. and then someone else will come in with more energy and different ideas and, and take it a little bit further. Which is something I would say, like, they, they, they have to want to, they have to want to coach themselves, we have to work as a team, more of us than just you, we have to get in place a sense of urgency, get in place that short-term win, those short-term stories, and work as a group and going forward. Do you reckon that? Well, we can't we can't check whether we're done. It's but a, yeah, it's a massive does it feel question. done for yeah, now? I think it's, it's it's as far as we can take. I it guess now. we can test. Maybe maybe Robin and uh, Gareth can send us a message to can see. Can you say Gareth uh, without doing it in a Welsh accent? No, just like I can't see Birmingham without saying it in Birmingham accent. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. I've finished my pint of Devon Mist. All right. Did it, has time time gone that quickly? Wow. I think we're done. Yeah. All right. Well. Cheers, to everybody. Cheers, chaps. See you next time. All the best.